You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. of Ephesians dealing with the whole armor of God. We've talked about the Christian's battle. We fight against flesh and blood. We've talked about the Christian's armor and its components and its pieces. And today we consider the Christian's stance as we close out this section of Ephesians in verse 18 through 20. Let me read God's word for us. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we've seen in this text that every Christian is thrust into a daily spiritual battle against the kingdom of darkness. And so, therefore, every Christian needs strength. And not just our strength, we need God's strength, God's might. And Paul has told us that we receive the strength of the Lord by putting on the whole armor of God. God has given us everything we need each day to fight the battle, the spiritual battle that is before us. But you can have the best equipment in the world and you could still fail. You could still fall without the proper stance. Imagine a football player. That's right. I'm using a sporting analogy. So listen carefully. (laughs) You could be a football player. Believe it or not, I used to play football back in the day, so I know a little bit about sports. But you could be a football player with perhaps the best equipment, the best shoulder plaids, the the best helmets strapped on your head. But if that football player then sort of lazily waddles out onto the field, and if he fails to get the right stance, if he fails to get into that three-point stance, his equipment will do him no good when the blitz comes. So in this spiritual war, we not only need God's armor, but Paul says we also need to put ourselves in the proper stance, the proper posture. And the fully equipped Christian fights the battle on his knees, on his knees. If we do not fight in the stance of prayer, our armor will be as effective as an assassin striking a knight sleeping in his coat of arms, right? If you're asleep, if you're not alert, if you're not awake, doesn't matter what the armor is, the assassin can easily get you. We have to be alert. We have to be ready. We have to be watchful. We have to be prayerful. The, the mention of prayer in verse 18 isn't a seventh piece of the armor, but it is the foundational practice, the stance by which we deploy the armor that God gives us. As Paul mentions the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, he joins it to the posture of prayer in verse 18, almost interconnecting the two, praying at all times in the spirit. So the word is the weapon 
It's the word of God. It's the weapon. It's the sword in the hand of the Christian. And prayer is the battle stance as we fight our spiritual battles. The word of God taken up with the readiness of constant prayer is how the spirit of God enables us to resist temptation, achieve victory over sin, and fight the fight of holiness. John Bunyan's allegory for the Christian life, Pilgrim's Progress, which I've alluded to quite frequently over the last couple of weeks, in so many ways visualizes and dramatizes Ephesians chapter 6. And after Christian passed that valley of humiliation in his confrontation with Apollyon, Bunyan then describes Christian traveling into the valley of the shadow of death. Sounds like a fun place to be. And as Christian travels there, he utilizes what Bunyan calls all prayer, all prayer. It's a reference to Ephesians 6 verse 18. And similarly, when we pass through our valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, all prayer becomes the all-important stance that empowers us with God's strength to march forward through that valley. So in our passage today in Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, we're going to see four alls of prayer that Paul emphasizes. We are to pray at all times. We are to pray, secondly, all prayers. Thirdly, we're to pray with all perseverance. And then fourthly, we're to pray for all the saints. Let's take each one of these at a time. First, we are to pray all times in the spirit. We see that in verse 18. That if we hope to, to stand firm, we must take up the means of constant, continual prayer. We are to pray all times, but Paul also emphasizes that we do so in the Spirit. We are to pray in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean and how do we do it? As Christians, we have to remind ourselves that all that we've received from the blessings of the gospel have been applied to us by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Paul has reminded us in this letter to the Ephesians over and over again, the essential role that the Holy Spirit plays in this grand work of redemption that God has done in Christ. So let me invite you, even this week, read through Ephesians as we're approaching its end and read through Ephesians this week and note the mention of the Holy Spirit all throughout the book. It's a fascinating exercise. In fact, let me do it with you right now. Go to Ephesians 1. Let's look at all the references of the Spirit. Ephesians 1, verse 13. We see Paul describe how the Spirit seals us into our salvation in Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 14. The Spirit is the down payment or the guarantee of our inheritance. Go to Ephesians 1, verse 17. The Spirit gives us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Go to Ephesians 2, 18. The Spirit gives us access to the Father. Go to Ephesians 2, verse 22. The Spirit, along with the triune God, is building us together to be a dwelling place for God. Go to Ephesians 2, verse 22. uh, Excuse me, Ephesians 3, verse 5. That the Spirit has made known to us the mystery of God. Go to Ephesians 3, verse 16. The Spirit strengthens our inner being with divine power. Go to Ephesians 4, verse 3. The Spirit of God is the one who unites us in the bond of peace in the church. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 30. The Spirit of God can be grieved when we, by our sin, tear down the work of unity that he's doing in the church. Ephesians 5, verse 18. 
The Spirit it fills us, fills us, instead of being drunk with wine, we're to be filled with the Spirit for ministry and worship. And then, of course, in Ephesians 6, verse 17, we see the Spirit's sword is the Word of God. So as you see, just through that quick run-through of Ephesians, the Spirit of God plays a massive role in our Christian lives. The Christian life cannot be lived without the Holy Spirit. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, there would be no Christians, as he's the one who does the work of regeneration, causing us to be born again. And without the Spirit of God, we cannot pray. So the Spirit aids us by by this ongoing access that he gives to Jesus as we're united to him, and thus we have continual access to the throne room of the Father. If the strength to fight comes from the Lord, prayer is the way by which we call God for his strength and help. So we have to pray in the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who gives us access to the source of our strength. But, but how do we pray in this way? You know, one of the, the best ways to pray in the Spirit is to pray in conjunction with the Word of God. Notice how Paul interlinks the two. The sword of the Spirit, Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. The two go together. So one of the best ways, if you want to pray Spirit-filled prayers, pray in the Spirit, is pray Scripture. We wouldn't have our Bibles if it wasn't for the work of the Holy Spirit. So if we want to pray in the Spirit, we're going to pray the Spirit's word. Fill your prayers with the language and the promises of Scripture. Let scriptural priorities form the the shape and the content of your prayers. The Lord is a father who loves to hear his children pray, but he delights to listen to the prayer of faith spurred by the reverberation of his word in our hearts. But sometimes we do struggle to know what to pray or how to pray. Sometimes we don't know what to ask for from the Lord in a particular situation. And when a Christian prays in the spirit, the spirit of God helps us. The Spirit can translate our groanings into prayer brought before the Father. Paul describes this in Romans 8 that Pastor Tim read earlier this morning. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, Paul says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So even when we don't know what to pray, because the Christian has the Holy Spirit, we can simply groan and raise our prayers as best we can to the Lord, and the Spirit of God interprets those groanings and brings our requests to the Lord in accordance to the will of God. So as we meditate on the Spirit-inspired word, prayer is made effective by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray at all times, And we pray in every situation. Every situation we face, prayer is aided by the Holy Spirit who works within us. So we have to make it the habit of our lives to pray in the Spirit, but to pray continually. Pray at all times, Paul says. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, pray without ceasing. Or Paul says in Romans 12, to be constant in prayer. Now, praying at all times, like Paul says here, can 
sound a little bit like an impossible task. How do we actually do that? Is Paul suggesting that we all should just resign from our jobs tomorrow and then take refuge in our prayer closets and stay the rest of our lives there? Well, that's certainly not what he's doing. Paul was an incredibly busy man, active in the work of ministry. So that's, he's not advocating that we just simply withdraw from the world and retreat to our, our closets. But we are, though, to go about our work and responsibilities with the ongoing stance or posture of prayer in our hearts. It means that even when we go about menial tasks like brushing our teeth or doing the dishes or driving to work, that we do so self-consciously recognizing that we do so in the presence of God. We make many errors when it comes to the practice of prayer. One of the biggest mistakes I think we make is that we think there's an off switch to prayer. There's not. We pray quietly in the morning. So many of us, I hope you do, maybe in your time of the word. And then we have this tendency to just kind of turn prayer off. Almost like we're hanging up the phone call. And then we go out about our days, often without realizing the ongoing access we have to God and the, that we act every day in the presence, before the presence of God. The the Christian prayer life is not marked by one long, intensive, formal prayer that you do in the morning, but by the ongoing conversational dialogue that we have with God throughout the day. So thus, we must pray at all times in the Spirit. Well, one of the classic works of Christian spirituality is a little booklet. It's not very long. It's by a guy named Brother Lawrence, and it's a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence was a medieval monk whose responsibility was to cook for the monastery. That was his job. He was a chef. So he spent extensive time throughout his day in the kitchen preparing meals and doing some of the most menial tasks that you could think of. But yet, Lawrence's life was marked by a deep affection, a deep love for the Lord, a rich, personal, spiritual communion with God that he had seemingly constantly that even the other monks began to notice. And so he describes how he thought of his work as he went about his day. Here's what he, he said. He said, I made this my business as much all the day long as at the appointed times of prayer. So he prayed, not just when he had appointed times of prayer, but all the day long, he says. And then he goes on and says, for all times, every hour, every minute, even in the height of my business, I drove away from my mind everything that was capable of interrupting my thought of God. So Lawrence practiced this sort of ongoing heavenly mindedness, living consciously before the presence of his God. He said this, he said, the time of business, meaning cooking in the kitchen, right? The time of business does not with me defer from the time of prayer and in the noise and the clatter of my kitchen, he prayed. So if his thoughts wandered, what he would do is he would pull back his thoughts to God's presence and every action, he would take a moment to pray and he would ask the Lord and examine his life if he had acted faithfully in a way that glorified and honor God. In the business and self-help world, if you go, go look at some of those books and resources that are being published today, you'll see that this sort of category of mindfulness has become a bit of a fad. Mindfulness, right? 
And these are kind of silly things, I think, in so many ways. Such, such trends of mindfulness as a business practice or as a self-help practice, it's often just reflections of a secular mind wishing to jump into the husk of spirituality with no truth or substance attached. But the Christian ought to have the practice of ongoing heavenly-mindedness heavenly mindedness, consciously putting our hearts before the presence of God in a constant way in constant prayer at all times. And in a distracted world, and we live in a distracted world, we may have to mortify our senses to help with this, to eliminate our distractions, to delete a few apps, to downgrade our phones so that we can focus our hearts to pray at all times in the spirit. So we pray at all times, but secondly, we pray all prayers. This is the second all. We pray, Paul says, with all prayer and supplication. So in our stance in this spiritual battle, we must take up every form of prayer as we pray. We must pray at all times, and we must pray with the whole gamut of prayers that the scriptures provide us with. So we pray prayers of praise, prayers of praise. We rejoice in the Lord as we delight in his attributes, his perfections, his characters. We exult in his love that he has given us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We honor God for his justice. We fear him in his wrath. We sing to him for his grace. We pray prayers of praise, but we pray prayers of thanksgiving as well. We thank the Lord for his provision. We thank him for his sustaining power. We express to God our gratitude for his mercy and for his grace. We thank him for our family, our friends, and our church. And we pray recognizing that every good and perfect gift comes from above. We also pray prayers of lament. We call out to the Lord in the midst of our questions, our doubts, and our afflictions. We call out to him with the voice of the psalmist, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? We unburden our hearts before him. And through our complaint, the spirit teaches us to trust God's goodness and sovereignty. We pray prayers of confession. We tell the Lord of our error, of our sin. We grant space in our prayers of conviction uh, for, for the spirit to convict us and to help us to vocalize our repentance to him. We express our sorrow and our grief over our sins. We plead for God to have mercy on us. We humble ourselves before him and confess our need for grace. Then we also pray prayers of supplication or prayers of petition. We ask the Lord to act as best as we see fit in line with the priority of his word. We pray for one another. We pray for our holiness. We pray for faithfulness and evangelism. We pray for gospel workers all around the world. And we ask the Lord to provide, to save, to strengthen the church. You know, students of martial arts must master varying stances for combat. Whether you're learning Kung Fu or boxing or fencing, Each has a variety of different stances that the combatant needs to learn and take depending on the situation. And if you're a skilled combatant, you learn to shift between such stances based on the occasion at hand and the need at hand. Similarly, I think Christians ought to learn 
various prayers, all prayer given to us in God's word, stances that we shift from depending on the situation that we face. So a Christian committing, committed to fight with such skill in his fully equipped armor, we must learn every stance of prayer and we must learn to pray all prayers. So when you find yourself battling discouragement and depression, prayers of praise can help you take your eyes off of yourself and put it on the Lord to encourage you and to strengthen you. When battling discontentment and greed and materialism lurking in your heart, you can offer prayers of thanksgiving to the Lord. When you find yourself crippled by grief and doubts, you can pray prayers of lament that help deepen your trust in the Lord. When you find yourself struggling with a certain pattern of sin, a thorn in the flesh, you can confess that sin to the Lord to help you be sorrowful over it and to help hate it as the Lord hates it. When you find yourself anxious, as you have an obstacle before you that you cannot overcome, that you cannot deal with, that you cannot solve, you can raise prayers of supplication, asking the Lord to act, thereby increasing your confidence and trust in him. You see, a Christian soldier must not only pray at all times, but, but must master all prayer, every stance of prayer as needed, depending on the situation. In our Sunday morning gathering, as we worship as a church family, we try as elders to model the whole gamut of Christian prayer, not only to lead you in prayer, but to teach you how to pray. We pray prayers of praise and thanksgiving, as Pastor Dim did this morning, expressing our gratitude to God and praising the Lord for his goodness and power. In the pastoral prayer, we pray prayers of supplication, petitioning the Lord to act in our lives and around the world for his glory. Before the Lord's Supper, we have the prayer of confession, by which we confess our sins to the Lord, humbly responding to the Spirit's conviction as the word is preached, as we respond to it. So as, as our elders lead you and model such prayers for you each Sunday, be equipped to go and do likewise. The teaching time is more than just what happens when I'm here behind the pulpit. Everything we do in worship is trying to instruct you and teach you how to be faithful to the Lord and to take up every stance of prayer as you go about your days and weeks. We need to learn all prayers. But then thirdly, we must pray with all perseverance. We pray all prayer at all times, but we do so with all perseverance. Paul writes, look at what he says. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert with all perseverance. Paul tells us to keep, keep alert. For a soldier in the midst of a spiritual conflict, we have to pay attention. We have to keep our eyes open. We have to be alert. The enemy, as we've seen, can unleash surprise attacks at a moment's notice. So therefore, we have to be watchful over our hearts and watchful in prayer. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in Gethsemane? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. My younger brother uh, was never much into sports, but he played a year of baseball during elementary school. 
My parents forced him to do it, right? They wanted him to get off the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo system, right? And go do something outside of the house. So they forced him to play baseball for just a year. That's all it lasted. He wasn't skilled at baseball, nor did he have any desire to be good at baseball, but he was there. And so the coach, seeing his enthusiasm, put him out in left field, right? Where the ball rarely traveled uh, in those elementary years. And I remember giggling as I watched my brother go out and play baseball as he was out in the outfield and he would just simply stare at the sky, looking around, right? He would start fiddling with grass on the ground. Sometimes he would just plop down and sit and just hang out for a while, playing with some bugs in the dirt. And his wandering mind went everywhere but baseball, everywhere but baseball. So whenever there was a skilled kid who actually knew how to hit the ball and he smacked the ball out into left field, my brother wouldn't even realize the ball was coming his way until the ball had already hit the ground and someone cried out for his name to go get the ball and throw it. But, but isn't that how so many of us live our spiritual lives, isn't it? We get distracted. We forget that we, we, we're not in a baseball game. We're in a spiritual war against the kingdom of darkness. And instead of standing ready and alert and watchful, we rest, we slack off, we daydream. Whether you play baseball or pickleball or soccer or basketball, so many of our sports, right, require that you pay attention, that you stay alert, that you are able to react quickly to the situation at hand. And the same is certainly true when it comes to a Christian's prayer life. Persistence and persevering in prayer is a way of keeping our soul alert to the spiritual battle. Prayerlessness is a sign of spiritual sleepiness. If you're not praying, you're probably spiritually sleepy. You're not keeping very good watch and attention. Someone who is alert to the spiritual war going around them will make it a habit of persevering and constant prayer. Prayer keeps us alert to the danger. It keeps us ready to respond immediately to a spiritual threat that we may face throughout the day. So let me ask you, what, what has your focus and your attention right now? Are you focused on the fight of faith? Do you have a spiritual focus that's demonstrated by alertness and persevering prayer? Are you, are you praying throughout the day, remembering that your ongoing communication with God, that it keeps your focus where it ought to belong? Spiritual alertness is praying without ceasing. But we have to also persevere in prayer, don't we? We have to keep praying. <coughs> it's strange that we are often too proud to beg from the Lord. And what an ironic thing that is. We have no right to be proud before the Lord anyway. He's holy. We're sinners. But yet we have this tendency of we might ask God for a request maybe once, maybe twice, maybe if we're really needy, maybe three times. But we all too quickly drop the matter completely, don't we? But the Lord often delays his answering as a way to woo us into this sort of persistent prayer that Paul's urging us to take up. He, he, he delays in order to urge us to pray persistently, to deepen our longing for him, to grow our dependency upon him. Do you remember the parable of the, the persistent widow in, in Luke's gospel? Luke tells us that Jesus tells this parable as a way to encourage us to always pray and to not lose heart. And in the parable, there's this unjust judge who neither feared God nor respected man. He's a heathen. 
But this widow keeps coming before this judge pleading for justice. And for a while, the judge just refuses her, right? He's an evil, wicked judge. He doesn't care. But this widow just keeps asking over and over and over and over again. Every day, she's there persisting, asking this wicked judge to bring justice to her situation. And so eventually, this godless judge, Jesus says, gives her justice because the judge just wants this woman to stop bothering him and beating her down with this continual coming before him. And Jesus' point is really clear. If a godless judge will give justice after such persistence, how much more will the just God of the universe respond to the cries of his elect in their coming? So let me encourage you, church, to persevere in your prayers. How long is too long to pray for a particular request? Well, pray until the Lord gives an answer. Pray until the Lord gives an answer. Maybe you've been praying for your lost brother for decades. Keep praying. Maybe you've been praying for a wayward child for years. Keep praying. Maybe you've been sharing the gospel with people and you're praying that the Lord would save through your evangelistic efforts, that the Lord would allow you to see fruit in evangelism, but it's just not happening. Keep praying. Keep praying. Perhaps you've been praying for the Lord's provision for a particular need that you have. Keep praying. Church, persist in your prayers. Perhaps you've been praying for revival in this city, in this country, around the world. Keep praying. Do not grow weary in asking the Lord. Jonathan Edwards said this, It is very apparent from the word of God that he often tries the faith and patience of his people when they are crying to him for some great and important mercy by withholding the mercy sought for a season. And not only so, but at first he may cause an increase of dark appearances. And yet he, without fail, at last prospers those who continually, urgently in prayer with all perseverance and will not let him go except he blesses. What what does Edwards recognize here? Edwards recognized that God often withholds the mercy we request for him as a way of trying and testing our faith and deepening our dependency upon him. He withholds a response in order to entice us to pray further, to long for him more, to implore him with greater earnestness and zeal. And so when we fail to wrestle with God in persevering prayer, we scorn the means that he's given to intensify our dependence upon him alone. Stand alert, church, in prayer and persevere in it. I was praying through the the Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers. I use it quite frequently in my own personal devotions with the Lord. I think there's a copy over there if you want to grab one after church. And I came across this helpful prayer particularly one if you struggle with perseverance. It says, strengthen me to pray with the conviction that whatever I receive is thy gift so that I may pray until prayer be granted. Teach me to believe that all degrees of mercy arise from several degrees of prayer. So we pray with all perseverance. But then fourthly, we are to pray for all saints, all saints. Paul tells us we pray at all times, in all prayers, with all perseverance 
And then fourthly, we see we are to pray for all the saints. Now, while Christians should pray for the world, we should pray for our lost neighbors, the saints should receive a priority in our prayers. We pray specifically for our fellow combatants in this spiritual war, pleading for the Lord to strengthen them, revive them, renew them, protect them, and to use them for his glory. You know, it's interesting how quickly our prayers can become so self-absorbed, can't they? Treating God as a therapist to dump our problems and woes. It's all about us. And so in addition to praying for our own souls, and we certainly should, we should make it a habit, a regular practice to pray for the souls of others. Is it a regular habit of yours, church, to pray for other believers? The most obvious place to start to do this is with your church family, right? We publish a prayer book every quarter called the Church Directory. And it's not just a, a book to help you learn people's faces and to have people's phone numbers, but it's, we print it quarterly, always up to date with our current membership, so that you've got a book to keep in your Bible to pray for one another. Take a couple rows, take a page. As you spend time with the Lord each day, pray for your fellow members. Pray for them regularly. Work to get to know others in the church family so that you are better equipped to pray for them. It's hard to know how to pray for people if you don't know who they are. And our church is small enough still where it's still easy to get to know most of the congregation. But even if you don't know how to pray for a particular individual, maybe it's a brother or sister you just haven't gotten to know very well, you can still refer to those opening pages of the directory where we have some prayer pointers that you can use of how to pray for specific people, even if you don't know the specific of what's going on in their life. So take, pray, take a few names, pray day and night for your fellow members. But Paul says that our prayers should also expand to all the saints, all the saints, those at Redemption Church and beyond Redemption Church. We should labor to pray prayers, especially for those who are laboring in gospel work around the world. And so Paul urges the Ephesians to make supplication for all the saints, but then he takes the opportunity to submit his own prayer request to the Ephesian church. Look at verse 19. He says, all right, while well, you're praying for all the saints, also pray for me. Look at what he says. Also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Even the Apostle Paul had a prayer request. He needs prayer from the church. He needs prayer from the Ephesians. Paul is in prison, but he does not pray, interestingly enough. He doesn't pray for his freedom, does he? He doesn't say, church, pray that I would be released from my imprisonment. No, he prays for the ongoing opportunity to proclaim the gospel, even though he is an ambassador in chains. That phrase is kind of silly, isn't it? An ambassador in chains, how does that work? I think Paul uses the phrase with a touch of irony. An ambassador, what do they do? Well, they go and they travel to other places to represent the king. So how can Paul be an ambassador when he's chained, tethered to a Roman soldier? He saw that his chains, though, were not an obstacle to the gospel, but actually enabled a steady influx of constantly rotating guards that gave him opportunity, a captive audience, to share the gospel with someone. 
Paul tells us in Philippians, again, during the same imprisonment, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So, so while we should make it a habit to pray for gospel workers around the world, we want to pray for the flourishing of the gospel in their ministries. So as elders, one of the exciting things that we're working on right now is we're trying to develop for next year international relationships and partnerships with other churches and missionaries working overseas so that we can not only help them, but also pray for the work of the gospel all around the world. And so we hope to provide an ongoing prayer list for you in the near future of gospel workers all across the world that you can pray for. But let me encourage you, church, to keep your own prayer lists of pastors, of nearby churches, of missionaries, that you can regularly pray for them as you pray for all the saints. Paul's prayer request here in the Ephesians helps us understand, though, how we should pray for gospel workers around the world. Paul doesn't ask for prayer for easier circumstances. That's important. Instead, what does he ask the Ephesian church to pray for? To pray for his words and his boldness his words, and his boldness. Or to put it another way, Paul prays for his clarity, his gospel clarity, and for his gospel courage. For clarity, Paul asks the Lord to give him the right words to speak as he opens up his mouth and proclaims the the mystery of the gospel. That in his evangelism, he wants the Lord to be able to give him clear and understandable words that accurately and persuasively proclaims the gospel to those who need to hear it. And so he invites the church. He says, church, pray for me. Pray that I would be clear as I share the gospel with others. Similarly, that's one of the main ways we should pray for gospel workers overseas. We should pray that for gospel workers in our state and around the world, that they would be clear on what the gospel is. That's of paramount importance in our work of missions is to make the gospel clear. So we want to pray for churches, pray for missionaries, that they would master languages so that they might be able to speak clearly the gospel in a foreign context. If missionaries don't learn the language as well, how are they going to do evangelism? And so we want to pray for our missionaries that they would master the languages so that the gospel would be clear. We want to pray for Bible translators. What an important work that is, who labor in grammar and syntax and vocabulary to try to make the scriptures clear to an unreached people group, a people group who often don't have a written language. And so the missionaries are not only learning this verbal language, but then having to figure out how to write it down so that they can then translate the scriptures into the language and teach the people to read so they can read the Bible. What clarity is needed for that task. We want to pray for Bible translators in that work. And so we want to pray for pastors and missionaries and other gospel workers. This should be a top priority in our prayers. We, 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 this should be exceeding our prayers for them. Of course, we want to pray for safety, comfort, and circumstances. But of paramount importance, we want to pray that the gospel's clear in their ministry. And so we pray, Lord, give our brothers and sisters clarity of speech to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to those who do not understand and have not heard. So Paul also prays for the church. Church, pray that I might be courageous. Pray that I might be bold. Paul faced constant persecution throughout his life and ministry. Even as he pins this letter, remember, he's chained to a Roman soldier. 
And even as he's perhaps penning this letter with a Roman soldier standing a few feet by, he realizes, I need boldness to share the gospel of this brother. Right now, as I'm writing this, I could use some prayer to be faithful in sharing the gospel with this brother chained to me right now. This, this guy who needs to hear the gospel. He longs to boldly, he says, boldly proclaim the gospel. And even though he's in chains, that he would declare it boldly, he says, as I ought to speak. It is good and right for Christians to be bold in evangelism. He says that I would declare boldly as I ought to speak. And so as we pray for all the saints around the world, we want to pray that they would be fearless in their evangelism, even in dangerous situations. And the work for the gospel, we need to pray for both clarity and courage. Both go together. John Stott put it this way. He said, clarity without courage is like sunshine in the desert. Plenty of light, but nothing worth looking at. Courage without clarity is like a beautiful landscape at nighttime. Plenty to see, but no light by which to see it. What is needed in the pulpits of the world today is a combination of clarity and courage. Clarity and courage. And we work together across churches to advance the kingdom of God around the world. And so we pray for our fellow brothers and sisters to take the gospel in clarity, in courage. And as Christians who are engaged in a spiritual war, we have to recognize the importance of praying for all the saints, praying for our fellow soldiers in the fight against the kingdom of darkness. The Christian battle is a serious one as we combat the schemes of the devil but we can be strong in the Lord. We can be strong with God's might as we put on the whole armor of God. But even with the proper armor, we need to fight in the proper stance. Be alert, be ready, posture yourself in prayer, ready to fight. And so as we seek to advance the kingdom of God and fight back the kingdom of darkness, what do we do? We pray, we pray. So Christian, let me invite you, check your footing this morning. How is your stance? Are you keeping alert in prayer? Are you doing all prayer or are you doing some? Consider how silly it is for a moment when we insert the word some instead of all. Do you pray sometimes, some prayers with some perseverance for some of the saints? May it not be so of us. May we pray at all times, all prayers, with all perseverance for all the saints. And with the whole armor of God standing ready to fight in prayer, we will be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, and we will withstand the schemes of the devil. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask as we stand alert in prayer this morning that you would strengthen us for this battle. Lord, help us to pray at all times. Help us to take up all prayers. Help us to pray with all perseverance. Help us to pray for all the saints. Lord, we need your help. We need your strength. The fight that we fight is not one of flesh and blood, but Lord, against the horde of hell and a demonic enemy and a devilish schemer. Lord, we need your strength. So Lord, as we take up the whole armor that you have given us through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that we might be strong to fight, that we might be strong to take up all prayer. Help us to have the proper stance, 
the proper footing, the proper posture to pray at all times so that we might be defended and we might be protected and that we might be strong. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.